Hello and welcome to the Forthos Cast. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And uh, I almost forgot how to do this. Like, I hesitated for a moment because we took a week off and my brain is just like completely shut down. <laughs> it the, took me a second. The magic story magic has leaked out of our brains. We just uh, need to refill those refill those meters. Just kind of pour some, some more juice in the old magic brain. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like that for a while. I, I don't know anything about D&D, so I'm just kind of... I'm seeing cards across my timeline. And I'm like, okay, these seem cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess that's our news for the week. Is uh, Baldur's Gate, Commander Legends, Battle for Commander Gate Baldur. I don't. This it's got like a long Dungeons and Dragons title. <laughs> um, what is it? It's like it's like Magic: The Gathering presents Dungeons and Dragons Battle for Baldur's Gate Commander Legends or something. Uh, anyways, that's uh. That's in full swing now. All of the previews are coming out. Uh, there's like this first week of previews apparently is like all legendary creatures. That's like basically all we're getting. We've gotten like a few like side cards to go with that, uh, especially including the background mechanic, which is like I would have never in a million years thought to do that. Like that mechanic is so incredibly like it's really genius that they're like, oh, how do we solve this issue of like making multicolor commander decks and draft? And it's like before it was all the partner commanders. And now it's like, hey, what if we uh, what if we gave characters backgrounds and made legendary enchantments that can kind of be your commander? So very smart. Would have never thought about it. I'm sad there's no three. We can't get three color combinations with them, but I'll take what I can get, I guess. Yeah, they got to save that for the next time when they do uh, Dungeons and Dragons Battle for Baldur's Gate Commander Legends 2. <laughs> um, I don't know. I see I see the Planeswalker cards. I see this Planeswalker can be your commander. And I cry because they all should have that. They shouldn't have to print those words on a card. <laughs> we should just be playing Planeswalker Commander. I, I was peeking at EDH Rec and I was like, there's only like one planeswalker who kind of breaks into the the major top commanders and it's lord windgrace like of course you're just doing like garden type land cycling in that deck but yeah i don't know i'm at this point it can't make commander worse let's put it that (laughs) way like it's not going to accelerate the format any more than every other card printed in the last three years has done so um, just kind of would love for somebody to pull the trigger on that. <laughs> well, if you think about it, the reason why Lord Windgrace is like such a popular commander and also a planeswalker is that he is a Jund commander that does lands. And there's not really any other Jund commander options that do that, uh, yeah. like specifically. And so you think about that and you go, oh, well, you know. That's just a thing. If they made a legendary creature that did it better, then it would be fine. It's like, no, the thing is, is that there's a lot of planeswalkers out there who would make really cool commanders for decks that otherwise can't exist. So anyways, we're not going to get on that topic. We've got to we've got to go back to New Capenna today. We spent a lot of time away from Streets of New Capenna. Feels like a (laughs) year ago. It's been a lot of episodes uh, since we talked about Streets of New Capenna. So uh, this this week we're going to talk about side stories because we kind of skipped over them, except for one notice, notable exception uh, when we talked about the uh, main story of the set. Uh, so, um, yeah, we're going to be covering the first three side stories today. Uh, the Contract Breaker by Tobias S. Buckle, uh, What You Expect to See by Caitlin Zivanovich, and uh, The Side of Freedom by Elise Kova, who also, you know, wrote the main story. So, uh the contract breaker will be our first one, I suppose. Yeah, one of the few legendary creatures that I did see from this set was Perry, and big, big rhino man. <laughs> <laughs> Not a platypus, despite yeah. how often I want to call him Perry the wow. platypus. His his card's name is Perry the pulverizer. Come yeah, on, yeah, <laughs> he got very, very close. Um, but yeah, like I kind of go into these side stories not knowing which of these characters are actual legendary creatures or not which is kind of blissful because i'm just like oh cool cool character i wonder if they actually do have a card and then i'll pop over to scryfall and search like all of these do do all of these every yeah exactly they've kind of they've kind of upped the integration uh well i mean they're just printing more legendary creatures but like even in these first 
two side stories, they kind of just like amped up how many they could weave into the story so that everybody uh, got some kind of moment to shine. But yeah, the contract breaker. So we're focusing on Perry, the pulverizer, who is a rocks um, broker agent and kind of we start off with him walking into a lounge and he's immediately confronted by two Leonin bouncers. Um, he is trying to follow a target, it seems, in the lounge, um, but the bouncers get kind of called off by their boss and then they take their confrontation outside and Perry does beat the shit out of them. <laughs> he pulverizes them. <laughs> he does He does his uh, signature uh, namesake to them. Yeah, and so he knocks the two bouncers out in a fight outside and then a Leonin associate of his, Rigo, approaches him and they talk about going after a person named Krent. Um, he gets called off from his current mission via an amplifier, which was like a cool piece of technology. Like this is just kind of like stepping up the fantasy tech. I know we kind of got it with Kamigawa very, very recently. Vincer's insulted right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. We just, he gets, he gets a little earpiece that actually gives him orders. Um, and another piece of tech is being able to teleport <laughs> teleport <laughs> get teleported straight to um the broker's headquarters where he is meeting up with falco the leader of the brokers and immediately brings up his failure which was recently he was uh supposed to go after a contract breaker who was a child and decided not to do that because he's a he's a normal not human being but normal person uh, with some semblance of a conscience so he doesn't beat up and intimidate a child um, but falco wants him to prove himself useful even despite this failure so he has a job where he is attempting to secure halo from the riveteers and he will be working with another broker's agent named cross um, they just need to find this person um, rough up this contract breaker and leave their broken body outside of Zayatora's place for um, the Riveteers to find. And so the two leave and they are headed after Jolene. Um, they Jolene, drive... Jolene, Jolene, Jolene. Sorry. <laughs> I was thinking it, so I understand. Uh, Jolene would break my arm if I sing that song around her. <laughs> Uh, they drive a beetle car down to the industrial part of New Capenna, and they hop into a factory and down a manhole cover to essentially escape to Old Capenna, like the city outside of the city, um, where everything is much more run down and referred to as Old Country. Um, there, they pretty immediately encounter raccoon folk, <laughs> um, and they... Are, they just kind of walk up to them and they're like, hey, have you seen this person? And the raccoon folk fucking 20v2 them. Uh, <laughs> it's like Cross walks up and is like, have you seen this person? And then all the raccoons like flick out their knives and jump on them. <laughs> it's uh, very funny. But kind of outsider, um, old country folk raccoon do not stand a chance against two people who break bones for a living. <laughs> So uh, Perry and Cross successfully fight them off, and Perry is mostly the one who intimidates their leader and gets them to um, flee. Uh, then a wall that Cross was leaning near falls down on him, and Perry senses demolition magic in the area, um, and he is carefully able to kind of pinpoint Jolene in this outskirts area, uh, and they start to fight. Uh, Cross does end up not dying but he is barely alive and he's kind of limping towards them while they're fighting um, i'm not dead yet i'm just badly <laughs> injured <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like on death's door he's you know he had a he had a wall fell on him like yeah yeah you don't yeah. usually get walls falling on you and just be like okay well i'm gonna get up from this though so it does happen in the second in, story in literally too. the second story it does happen but for good reason uh and so jolene kind of snaps out of the obscura spell that it turns out that she is under and cross realizes this and checks her mind um but ultimately finds out that this is all a very 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 elaborate obscura plot to try to pin the riveteers against the brokers 
and get them to start a war. Um, and what they can do at this point is the crossroads decision of actually follow through on what they were supposed to do, which is, um, I guess, beat up Jolene further because she's not too badly broken at this point, but beat her up further and or leave her on the Riveteer's doorstep or go to Falco and try to explain the situation knowing that they're disobeying his direct orders to have done this um, in an attempt to avoid the war that would probably start between the Riveteers and the Brokers if they went through with Plan A. Um, so Perry bites the bullet and says, I'm already in, I'm already in pretty deep with Falco, so I'm just going to go in deeper and try to prevent a war across New Capanna, um, and, uh, gets teleported back to Falco at the broker's headquarters. And so he gets there, he tries to explain the situation, um, Falco ushers him onto the balcony, the balcony that is kind of made legend by Falco pushing people <laughs> off of it. No, allegedly. Allegedly, Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> allegedly pushing people off of it. But they have a discussion about what exactly Perry has done up to this point, which was um, disobeyed Falco's direct orders about the contract breaker boy who had um, not been adequately punished for his transgressions against their family. Um, but Perry kind of stands up for himself and stands for not harming a literal child. And Falco responds saying that he has better tacticians, but he does still need Perry to protect the broker's reputation because you can't have people breaking contracts knowing that the brokers might not break you for it. <laughs> so we cut to Perry, who gets sent to pick up the newspaper boy who had broken his contract and the little newsy yeah he's a, he's a newsy he hands over his hat to him and is being all sentimental about not having his bones broken for doing this um and he gets sent over to a boarding school that alarmingly quickly just wipes his mind <laughs> of all of it like they literally pull him out of the car kind of get him in a little hug circle and then uh she's like it's done uh, he won't remember any events before today and they're going to take care of him from there. Um, and then cut back to the resolution of that conversation between Falco and Perry on the balcony. Um, and Falco says that he has his fighters, but he does still need a conscience. And that is where Perry can step in. That's the end of the story. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's super creepy with the like orphanage, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that mind, was super disconcerting. <laughs> mind wipe orphanage where you can take take people who, you know, signed their contracts too early in their life and then broke them. God, the brokers do not come off as like good at all in this story and not in the second all. one. They uh they come off pretty like scary and evil. Uh they are um I mean like yeah, they're ran by a demon bird, so like it makes sense that they would be yeah. pretty evil. Like the end of that made me think of something that would be something that the Demir would do, like, and like it, it just it kind of struck me the wrong way. So, like, I was trying to figure out like was that an obscure uh, subcontractor or what, what's what's going on there? Like, what how does that how does that work? Because that doesn't seem like something that on the cards would be aligned with what the like in the skill set of the brokers. But I don't know. It's, it is really interesting. It is like a villainous white story <laughs> where you have white kind of taken to its extremes of like it needs to maintain the peace and in order to maintain the peace it needs to be respected across the city and in order to maintain its level of respect it needs to treat everybody the exact same way and even while Perry was able to get one exception for a literal child um it is like they couldn't have mercy in this one case <laughs> they did need to still like wipe his mind just to be able to preserve some um like the respect for their family that was that was the only thing that was really at risk with this and i don't know if all the other four families would just like declare war on them and call them losers because they let a child live but like it is uh it's interesting and it's like these these side stories especially are kind of like 
what I want from Ravnica. I want a lot more conflict and um i mean that's just kind of the issue with ravnica is a lot of the times we go there there are conflicts that are much bigger than the guilds themselves so the inter-guild conflicts kind of get overshadowed with that so but yeah no i was perfectly happy with this story i'm just i'm thinking about brian when you said are they like obscure subcontractors i'm just imagining like you meet someone at a bar and you're talking to them they're like you're like oh what do you do and they're like Oh, well, I'm like a mind mage. I specialize in wiping kids' minds. Um, I'm actually a member of the Obscura, but I do my work as a subcontract, the brokers. Uh, (laughs) Just like, God, it's so, so weird. Um, But yeah, no, I agree. It felt kind of out of place to like have like a mind wiping orphanage as part of the brokers set up. And also like, to be clear, like Falco wanted to kill this kid. Like, yeah, Falco was a hundred percent on board. Badly with, injure to send yeah. a message. Yeah, um, I think that if you send Perry the pulverizer to deal with a kid, like I don't think the kid's making it out alive. <laughs> <laughs> like I think the hammer is probably about the size of this child. Yeah, like the head of that that hammer looks ridiculously large. So, I mean, just imagine if this if this happened in the real world where. Um, kids were forced to sign like legally binding agreements um, while they were underage and would never be able to escape that contract or debt even if they went into bankruptcy um that'd be fucked up and like even if the you leader student loans yeah even if the leader of the country like specifically made it so that you couldn't get out of that agreement that you had made when you were a minor even if you were bankrupt like how fucked up would that be huh anyway <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's uh it's pretty messed up but uh i really liked perry as a character i think that he um he was really cool i mean like he's just a really cool character he's like a tactician uh he felt like a paladin in a lot of ways even though he's yeah. like working for a dude who wants to like kill a kid brute um, with a conscience yeah well he's got like he's got like the tactician style paladin feel to him where it's like he's not just some muscle he's also got you know an understanding of battlefield tactics. Uh, he's looking out for doing the right thing, even when, you know, his boss tells him not to. So I did think it was kind of funny that like, he's a fighting tactician, but like a lot of his fights were kind of just like, well, the first fight with the two Leonin is entirely off screen. And the second <laughs> fight with Jolene is just like over in an instant because it turns out that the spell breaks. Um, we get a little bit of the tactician side when he fights the the raccoon. The raccoon folk. folk, yeah, there you go. <laughs> he outmaneuvers the rac- the feral raccoon folk. Everyone, it's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it really did remind me. I think the art in the story specifically like reminded me when you walk outside of the vault in um, any Fallout game, and you're just like, oh, okay, this is like an actual wasteland. Like, there's nothing. Like, people are just ready to kill you out here. Um, I like imagining that new Capenna, or old Capenna, is uh, just an abandoned wasteland where people kind of get to go <laughs> go fucking wild. It's like when you're uh, driving across the country and you cross the border into Ohio and you look around and you're like, damn. <laughs> and people, like, jump on your car. Like, they haven't seen one of these machines before. Like, I thought you were going to say, like, Arizona or New Mexico, but Ohio fits. That, that works. No, I mean, like, in my experience, it's more like Missouri. When we crossed into Missouri, I kind of looked around and went, oh, now I get why people are like that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we should um stop bashing random states because uh, we have three stories to cover. So I'm going to any other thoughts on the contract breaker before we move on? No, loved it. Yeah, real good one. Good job. Um, thank you, Magic Story, for giving us Perry the Pulverizer. Um, not the platypus. But uh, anyways, <laughs> the second story to cover today is What You Expect to See by Caitlin Zivanovich. Uh, this is the Obscura side story. So the story opens up with Kamiz, who is the right-hand sort of spy master of Rafine, the uh, head of the Obscura, who is also the face card of the Obscura commander deck, just like Perry is the face card of the Broker's commander deck. So there's a theme. Uh, and Kamiz is out traveling around with uh, her right hand, uh, which is Kweza, who is a legendary creature in the main set. Uh, and they are out doing some obscure business, and they are passing through the fortune shop of Tavit, who is also in the commander deck. See, all of these 
every single card, every single character in this story has a card. Um, (laughs) They're all there. Uh, And they're passing through the fortune shop. And before they can, like, enter the secret tunnels that the Obscura use to get everywhere, they run into uh, Tavit, who's, you know, very chatty and friendly with Quaza and makes some good jokes. And then suddenly the Sphinx starts, like, freaking out and has, like, a prophetic vision and starts shouting, uh, the kitten hiding the cream. Corvidae, flitting and pecking, gold in the water, hiding the cream, the kitten. And it's like, there's like light show going on, stuff's flying around the room. Uh, finally, he uh, he calms, or they calm down, and uh, Kamiz is like, hey, I'm recording all this, I'm going to send this all up to Rafine. And then, while still there, Kamiz gets all these reports that like, seers all over the city are having this vision. And so... Same exact vision. The same exact vision. They all are saying the same exact thing about a kitten hiding the cream, Corvidae flitting and pecking, all that. Um, so Camise is then summoned to Rafine's chamber. And uh, when she gets there, Rafine is like, hey, uh, that vision was an attack on us. There's no way that vision was real. I had the same vision. Your wards are crap. I saw the whole thing with the kitten playing in the milk and all of that. And um, Camise is like, you know, all right, well, if you say it's an attack, then I'm going to trust you. And Rafine says, you're the only person I trust to investigate this. So Kamiz goes and uh, reconvenes with Quaza, who's in like a big map room, I guess, like a big space where they store all of the Obscura stuff. Uh, And Quaza suggests that, hey, this was like a really big vision. This is somehow related to angels because like it had some angel-y feel to it. Uh, Quaza reveals that like she's like really interested in the, the angels who are all gone and totally not back at all and totally not in the city. Um, and, uh, Camise is like, no, just leave it alone. We're going to follow what Rafine said. This was some sort of psychic attack on the seers in our city. Um, what's going on? What else happened? Apparently there was some sort of warehouse that exploded. Uh, and the last person they saw near the warehouse was this Leonin reporter who might be involved. And like, Camise is like, ah, see there, there it is. There's the kitten hiding the cream. Uh, so they go and they're, uh, gonna go inspect this warehouse and so quaza and Camille's summon up uh, oscar the grouch i mean <coughs> oscar who is a um obscure agent who also has a card loves in the trash. commander deck <laughs> loves trash uh loves rummaging through garbage and oscar uh immediately starts talking to quaza about this like halo imagery he keeps finding all over the town like all these like stained glass pieces with halos in them that just like are popping up and Quaza's like, ooh, very interested because she loves angels. And then uh, Camise is like, hey, stop it. Cut it out. What was going on with this warehouse? And Oscar says, hey, warehouse was not abandoned. There were people there. And it didn't explode. It imploded. Uh, so they send some Echo inspectors who inspect Echoes of Magic at the warehouse. Uh, and they find out that, yeah, there'd been people at the warehouse. And they were, like, throwing some spells at what you can only assume was some Halo and Lacey Lanine, who is this Leonin reporter, uh, was somehow involved. She brought the halo to the warehouse. Uh, so then they go and they start investigating and they find out that like Lacey Lanine, who worked for... Uh, actually, I think Lacey does not have a card. I was I think just she, about to say that. <laughs> I, I think she's the only character in the story who does not have a card in she either the commander. Or, Her boss does, but she does not. Wait for the new Capenna alchemy. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um so yeah like that could very well happen uh but they go and talk to dinry who is like the reporter owner operator of like a newspaper um who is like her boss and he's like oh she's just doing nothing she likes to report on the society stuff and all that um and then oscar's like hey guess what we actually found Lacey, and her mind was wiped i found her in a dumpster because i was you know looking <laughs> for trash as i do um and uh she was found near Tavit's shop. Well, they go to go check out the place where they found Lacey, and while they're standing there talking about garbage with Oscar, Tavit's shop blows up, just kind of starts catching fire and falling apart. Uh of course, Quaza runs in to help Tavit, because Quaza is a good person who cares about other people. Uh Camise uses magic to pull Tavit out, and she thinks she pulls Camise, but she only pulls Camise's coat. And then the whole like building falls on top of Camise and a wall collapses on top of her. 
And um, she's fine because she's like a cephalid and they don't have bones. So like she just kind of like wiggles out. Um, It's very well written. It's like a very like cool moment in the story. But it was kind of funny where like the resolution is she's fine. She doesn't have bones. Um, So uh, Tavit reveals that like after his vision, he took a sleeping potion because he, you know, he wanted to take a nap uh, and he wakes up and there's like some new stained glass on his uh, his shop that has a halo in it. And the Riveteers didn't like that, and they called it some scab work and blew up his shop. Scab work to get a new window. Yeah, though I mean he didn't he didn't go through the Riveteers to get their uh, craftsmanship, so clearly he was working with some scabs. I mean, like, uh, do you lie about getting a new window, especially if it just like appears? <laughs> of, maybe I don't know. I don't know um, how things work here. Uh, clearly, this is a very strong union, and you don't want to mess with them. So, um. On that note, you should always talk to your uh, fellow employees about joining a union. Uh, maybe you too can blow up a fortune teller's shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it turns out that Quaza and uh, Oscar were doing some of their own research and found out that every single single seer who had this vision of the kittens and the milk or the cream or whatever, uh, they all had stained glass halos appear somewhere around their uh, where they were. And so Quaza's like, hey, this is telling me that this was a vision sent by angels. This wasn't like some sort of attack on them. And Kamiz is like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about and demands her gun and badge. I mean, her <laughs> sigils and talisman because um, they don't have guns or badges. Uh, I mean, finger guns are technically guns, right? <laughs> yes. I think she like takes her like cuffs or something. It's very much like. This is the archetypical hand over your your gun and badge, and you're you're off the case. Um, she literally says to Quaza that she's off the case, <laughs> uh, and Quaza's <laughs> like, "Hey, look, fine, you can fire me all you want, but like, you're not following your own rules. You're supposed to question everything, but you're not questioning Rafine." Uh, so Kamiz goes back and she reports to Rafine and says, "Like, hey, this is what we found out. We think it was, you know, a a, a vision sent by the Obscura." who are in on or the brokers or something. She's just like, she's telling Rafine stuff. And then um, she looks at Rafine. And she goes, by the way, uh, you're lying to me. And I know you are. You didn't have this vision because while everyone else, every single person said that the vision included the kitten hiding the cream, you said it was kittens playing in the milk. Also, there are no halos on the stained glass around the spire. So you lied about having this vision. You were more scared that you didn't have the vision. And that Rafine owns up to and is like yeah well and and then uh camise says well i have to go take care of something there's a reporter who needs my help and she sort of just walks out on rafine real cool move camise is awesome um i really love that moment where she's like you lied to me you're not telling the truth there's more going on here we need to be concerned and you're trying to cover it up because you don't want to lose face and then she just steps out and it's like i have to take care of something uh, and so that's when Camise confronts Lagrella the magpie, who they had discovered over the course of their investigation, uh, was involved in the implosion of the warehouse and was involved in the mysterious uh, Lacey Lanine situation. And of course, Lagrella's like, yeah, I did all that and completely confesses to everything she did and goes to use her broker's magic to force Camise into signing a contract that will wipe her own mind. And uh, it turns out, of course, Camille saw through this and knew this was what was going to happen. And she set up a trap to stop Lagrella by sort of engineering all this illusion work around them. And Quaza comes in and backs her up and they use mirrors to reflect the loophole back at Lagrella in the contract, catching her in her own sort of trap and end up getting Lagrella to uh, void the contract that Lacey signed, restoring her memories. And uh, that's kind of like the end of the story. After that, there's like a little bit of bonding between Quaza and Camise where they're like, hey, you you know, something's going on. And Camise is like, yeah, this is bigger than we thought it was. And you were right. And uh, you're back on the case. Um, Even though it's it was, solved. Well, I mean, like the, the greater case is not solved. There's still there's still a lot of mystery going on. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed the story. I thought it was like a, a really cool, like mystery detective story um it was a perfect noir like reference it was great there's like all a whole bunch of like whodunit mixed with like the like you know private eye feel but also they had like the you know experienced veteran caseworker with their you know sort of plucky sidekick 
situation. Um, but Oscar doesn't die like one day before retirement, so. <laughs> Biggest flaw. No. See, yeah. <laughs> Oscar, I mean, Oscar will never retire because he loves what he does. So uh, every day for him is a joy. <laughs> Digging through trash. Qu- Quaze almost died, but you know, those boneless cephalids are squeeze out of any any odd situation. Um, like as far as the characterization of the story, I love the fact that we actually have a chatty sphinx. Like it, it seemed like. Tibbet was super chatty and down to earth, whereas most sphinxes in magic lore are super highfalutin and like mysterious. And like they, the only time that they're super chatty with you is when they're giving you some kind of riddle that they expect you to solve. Yeah, and and I've probably messed this up at some point during that, but Tibbet does use they them pronouns uh, in the story, which is nice. Um, and also, like, it's implied that Lacey uh, is totally, like, going on dates with Lagrella. So, yeah, very, lots of, lots of queer rep in these stories. Um, but I did, I did like that about Tivit. I thought he, I, I thought they were um, really cool. They were very funny. And, like, they were making jokes about Quaza, which I thought was very, or Camise, which I thought was very funny. Uh, at one point, Quaza says, Tivit, look into the future. Any chance Camise ever smiles? And Tivit says, Outlook, not so good. Sorry. <laughs> Magic eight ball sphinx. Love it. Yeah. It's uh they 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 say I see glowering and silent disapproval in your future, Quasar. <laughs> very, very fun character. Um I did I did like that aspect of the of the obscura. Everything with Quaza I thought was really cute. Um because like Quaza is this like very sort of like bubbly, friendly sociable character um when like Rafine and Camise are like standoffish guarded they're very much like the sort of like mysterious obscura that you kind of imagine and then Quaza's like friendly and nice and everyone likes Quaza so I enjoyed that I also like Rafine being weirdly ashamed of not having the vision like and getting called (laughs) out on it and just immediately folding and not trying to play like an authority card just like yeah that that's totally where I thought they were going with that in the story. Like I thought uh, Camille was going to get punted off the case too once uh, they called out Rafine. But hmm, interesting, that's a change. I mean, I understand where if you're out of the loop on something, but also like critical piece of the puzzle for a reason. So yeah, <sighs> lots of characters. So many. Um, the only character in this story who doesn't have a card is Lacey, <laughs> and Lacey is just spends the whole character being mind wiped. So like, or spends the whole story being mind wiped. So like, Lacey doesn't really get a character. Um, but like, Denry's got a card. Quaza, Tivit, Camise, Rafine, Lagrella, Oscar, every named character. Um, but I also uh, the fun thing about Lagrella that we get here is Lagrella is trying to like turn Quaza into silver to put her in her fish tank <laughs> which is i think what is the line lagrella has let me see if i can find it real quick because it's very funny uh, so yeah there's this line lagrella has that's uh i only love two things my fish tank and the prophecy <laughs> and the prophecy <laughs> is the like is the thing that the brokers know about that we sort of got like a hint of from falco in the previous story where it's like once the halo runs out the city will fall um and this also like reveals in the second side story so i didn't read these before reading the main story if you did i guess it would have spoiled some stuff for you but it does reveal that like lagrella's like the cabaretti have a source of halo halo can only be made by angels thereby there is an angel and the cabarettis have it and like congratulations for the big reveal of the main story that (laughs) happened like in episode four when this was the second side story to come out i could have been a hypothesis like there could have been a new source of Halo for some reason, but yeah. Or maybe an, an angel that hadn't been harvested before. Oh, yeah. Someone finds an angel on the back of their fridge. It's been, <laughs> there, since they, it's been there since they moved in. It's expired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the angels really ever go bad? Well, if it was in the back of the freezer, then it's fine. <laughs> Do angels ever really go bad and you pull the angel out of your fridge and it's Selenia? <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Honey, I think this angel's gone bad. It looks like it's fallen. Anyways, we have one more side story to cover. Um, yeah, the last side story was uh, The Side of Freedom by Elise Kova. 
what what happened in the story brian that we haven't already discussed <laughs> so we've kind of we've discussed the majority of it basically Tezzeret leads Vivian to Urabrask, um, and he kind of, they kind of discuss. So basically, uh, he wants Halo to do tests uh, related to ending Norn's plans because, you know, Urabrask is ever the person who's on the side of personal freedom. He doesn't want, he wants people to willingly join Phyrexia as opposed to forcing it on them. Um, and he mentions that or, uh, Elish Norn is looking for Elspeth. And um, basically Vivian, who has kind of... Uh, I believe Vivian had run into Elspeth at some point earlier in the story. No, she would in side story number... Or main story number four, I think. Because um, that's when they meet up in the park. It was at the end of Tess. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. episode three is where they meet and this story was released concurrently with episode three i believe yeah like you got both sides on the same day yeah you're right um so basically vivian had been staking out waiting for a drop um uh for halo to be picked up or dropped off and um once elspeth leaves the package vivian intersects or intercepts her and begins discussing it until they separate because Viv- or Elspeth has uh, some people following her, but um, they meet up again at the crescendo. Biggest takeaways: Tezzeret is allegedly playing double agent. I'm still distrustful because I don't trust Tezzeret is half as far as I can <laughs> throw him, and I can't throw him very far. <laughs> exactly. Tezzeret is opening up gates for uh, Phyrexian Praetors to go visit other planes. Like, does he not know the oil exists? Like, w- 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 this is how Karn happened. Like, this is why we can't have nice things, Deseret. Like, for real, man. This, this you can't be doing this, man. Um, and again, Urbrask is trying to lead a revolution against Norn. So he's looking for help, and he's hoping that he can find more planeswalkers that are able to do his bidding. Now, what will happen after Elish Norn is overthrown? Who knows? But we'll see. But yeah, uh, and apparently Halo seems repulsive to Urbrask, and it's physically slowing his regeneration because he's trying to be healthy enough to planeswalk back uh, because the planner bridge is takes a huge toll even on the most powerful of beings who are not planeswalkers to walk the blind eternity. So he's waiting... Like and it was kind of weird because we don't really see what happens to him after the end of the story, even the main storyline. So, kind of interested to see because he did say that he was close to being ready to leave, but we don't know if that happened like shortly after Elspeth left the plane or if that like it, it was kind of a cliffhanger thing as to what happens with him. But I guess we'll see in the future. Specifically, Urbrask says that he's not leaving without Elspeth. <laughs> and then um elspeth leaves without him so <laughs> yeah uh it's very weird um we don't really get a resolution to urabrask he could just still be sitting there in his like weird hole in the bottom of the caldera or whatever just hanging out waiting <laughs> for elspeth to come or he or he tried to head back too early and just like clattered like a pile of metal as soon as he exited yeah <laughs> that's what i'm imagining dead. happens is like <laughs> A big, big metal bones laying on the ground. Just like kind of clatter and roll across the round and it's ground. It's like, give it a week. You'll have a Praetor <laughs> again. I'm just imagining him like being like Fry's dog on Futurama being forgotten at the bottom of this caldera. Like <laughs> <laughs> no one comes to feed him. No one lets him out. And no one like teleports him back to, to Mirrodin. So yeah, he just, he just dies there waiting. Tezzeret's investigating the hidden planeswalker and fighting Liliana, and then he goes, oh, shit, I knew I forgot something. <laughs> it just cuts to Urbrask sadly sitting in this little hole. <laughs> All curled up, just waiting for somebody to come. Uh-oh. But no, I mean, like, I think the, like, larger plot implications are pretty important. Like, Tezzeret is up to something. He was promised something by Norn. Elish Norn, like, said that she would give him something, and he wants that. But he doesn't want Elish Norn to win because that would be bad because, you know, Phyrexia all over the multiverse is pretty bad. He traded one dictator for another. Yeah, I mean, like, that's Tezzeret's whole thing, though. Like, that's normal for him. 
Um, he also, he's like not just shepherding Phyrexian Praetors, though. He also says that he's like ferrying her troops around. So for all we know, there are Phyrexians other than just Praetors. Stationed on other planes, yeah. Yeah. Like Dominaria, maybe, because you know, Dominaria United is a thing, right? Oh, yeah, I'm real excited for that. I'm I'm actually really expecting that to have something to do with this. Um, we also know that Urabrask is leading some sort of revolution against Norn. Uh, and specifically, he says that Norn fears Elspeth uh, and that he, quote, her spark will ignite my people and the Mirans both, which does sound a little menacing, just a little yeah. bit, um, considering what, you know, their interest in the spark was before. Uh, but also that does sort of imply that Urabrask's people are working with the Mirans. Cough, 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 hashtag cockwatch. Let's go. Yes, I was I was setting that up for you. I knew I was like, Brian's got to bring up cough. Um, hashtag cough watch, because I really do think that Urabrask and cough are working together. Um, I want to see that happen, uh, but we'll see. I want to see cough again. Yeah, just period. Just yeah. give us cough again. It has been over a decade. And he better not be dead or Phyrex United by the time we see he him. He better be in Dominaria United. I, I would legitimately... Um, Nobody from Wizards would know peace if they brought Koth back and then immediately Phyrexianized him. Like Or like killed him. Yeah. It's just yeah, no. They they better have something for him, but also not optimistic considering they couldn't fit it in any of the earlier parts of the <laughs> uh Phyrexian arc so far, or the new Phyrexian arc so far. Um what are since we don't have any NDA people on the podcast, what do we think? Tezzeret is trying to get from Elish Norn because I basically only got it narrowed down to one option, but y'all can go first. Like, I, I I personally think that Tezzeret is trying to find a way to ha- c- complete himself in a way that makes his Ethereum and his Phyrexianized self his per, his ideal of his idea of perfection, but like he needs Elish Norn's powers to complete himself the way that he wants to um so he's trying to get her far enough along to where she'll grant him his wish but at the same time um not give her access to enslave the rest of the multiverse because that's something that he kind of wants to do himself just that's my assumption based off of how he's kind of worked with like um the infinite consortium like but yeah you know i i that's my biggest guess because he's not really my favorite character, and I don't really have great insight as to how he thinks. So, what, what's your what's your prediction, Carrie? Because I have mine, but I want to hear yours first. <sighs> my prediction: I, I was already wrong on Koth secretly returning as of story five of Nukapana, which I mean, just wishful thinking at this point that they'll ever touch Koth again. Apparently, and praying for Dominar United. <laughs> uh, I see it as. The this is the like the new Phyrexian arc over the next year is the Eldrazi arc for like as the Eldrazi War to Bolas, where it was like the precursor to the big mastermind plot reveal. Um, that wasn't really that well tied together in the end of things. The new Phyrexian arc will be part of Tezzeret's master plot and not exactly like a core element to his domination or anything he just needs one thing that the new Phyrexians have and I think all evidence up to this point points against it but it just doesn't make sense that there's anything on new Phyrexia that previously is known about that he would want but the Marari is a thing and it is a allegedly powerful thing um I think as of Jay's last comment on it it was depowered at the end of the original Mirrodin block but also like I legitimately don't know, like, because that's that's nowhere except for individual comments from him. But not that I would say that Jay is wrong in that regard, especially considering he has future knowledge. But it's like the only thing that's valuable there, right? You don't really need New Phyrexia or Mirrodin as a plane as like any kind of domination force. It's not like he's going to take control and become um, the new father of machines. It's just like it seems like he just needs a tit for a tat in this case and Elish Norn may have just been the last custodian of the Morari because she got to take over how many domains on New Phyrexia. And the Morari is 
an abstract magical device that you could make fit into pretty much any plot. If um, if Bolas had the Marari and they said the Marari is what he used as the planar beacon to lure people to Ravnica, like nobody would blink. Because it's just like, the Marari is powerful. Of course it can do that. Uh-huh. Like all you have to do is wish it and it's a little a little genie trapped inside of a metal ball and it grants your wish. So that's that's my guess of where it would lead. But also like, I don't know, all of, all of the Mirrodin visits have been tainted by bad times in storytelling. So there's not a whole bunch to develop for like what would be needed from Elish Norn specifically, especially considering she only had her first story appearance literally in the past month, like which we will talk about next week. Yeah, exactly. What are your thoughts, Chris? Uh, so, so hear me out. I think uh, just like Nicol Bolas before wanted to uh, return to the power of an old walker, I think Tezzeret wants to uh, use the glistening oil to obtain Yawgmoth's spark. Yeah, Yawgmoth's well-known spark. Suddenly I have a headache. Please stop. I can... Maybe we can grab Gaia's spark while we're at it. <laughs> no, he's a uh, he's gonna he's gonna get a uh, Glacian spark from when Koth was completed. <laughs> not Koth, uh, Karn. Koth is not completed. Please don't do that, wizards. Um, no, I I mean like I think that honestly, like he's probably just looking for some sort of mechanical power. You I know? mean, it could like, just be like Venser's journal or something stupid. I guess that's there too. Like while we're exploring the possibilities, Venser did die there and left his journal. I don't I don't think he wants like some sort of MacGuffin. I think he wants something more abstract. I think Tezzeret <laughs> is looking for something from Elish Norn and from the Phyrexians. Uh like like Brian said, I think I don't know if he wants to be completed, but I think he wants that sort of power that it's, comes with the like domination of Phyrexia over machines. It is um I would love for that to be the case. It's just like Whenever magic story has needed to chain together threats in the past, it is usually because we needed a MacGuffin. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they just do not have a good track record for like coherent storytelling between villain arcs, um, as exemplified by Bolas and the Eldrazi. Like they are supposedly very tied, well tied together, but like in the end, he just wanted to see if like anybody would respond to an interplanar threat and try to build a police force for it it's like like sure people have accepted that in retrospect but it's like i don't know it they it wasn't planned in advance this one has the advantage of being planned very well in advance assuming the story team that is in charge now remains in charge for the next few years and doesn't uh get revolving doored as magic's curse has been so well, i don't think they're gonna uh sacrifice them and then find a creature with one more color uh, <laughs> oh, it's color ident- no. that's evolving door sorry sorry i got that mixed up I, I i take back my theory i'm gonna go with heavenly evan you there brian they cut out for me you cut out for me as well heavenly evan's uh theory has killed brian evan evan why did you do this <laughs> Oh no! Must be Trufy's being silenced over it. <laughs> oh, there you go. Wait, what am there I saying? You were okay before you were cut off, so we can end the episode. You were saying that you changed your mind. Uh, you were going to go with Heavenly Evans' uh, theory. So, if you want to start that thought over, I can just edit it all in. As an editor's note, uh, I could not edit it all in because all of the audio was lost. So, if you want to know what that theory was. Uh, you can join our live listen tier at $3 a month on our Patreon, and you can hear it happen live. <laughs> <laughs> the, the writers of Magic Story read the Boom comics and went, you know what? This is genius. We're just going to go with this. It's time to converge the two. Well, before we um, before we end, do we have any final thoughts for this week? Uh, either about the story, about life, whatever. Whatever you're thinking of, finally. My final thought is I got new glasses today. But also, like, I'm apartment shopping, and that is just as awful, if not worse, than car shopping. Very stressful. Yeah, and probably more expensive <laughs> than car shopping at this point. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it probably is. They're, they're spend, competing. I think I will probably spend more in rent in a year than I did on my car. Yeah. Which is. I will be paying off over the course of, like, seven years or whatever. No, I'll just make my final thought that 
planeswalkers should be commanders. That's all. <laughs> Re coming back around to my point from earlier, which is that can't make it any worse than it currently is. Like nobody's going to be racing with Tezzeret, uh, the Seeker, any faster than they would with any other commander. So why not? Urza. High Artificer is legal as a commander. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> There's no reason why you would play Tezzeret over Urza. <laughs> and we're getting a whole bunch of cards in this D&D set that people are pointing out like, oh, this is just like a really good staple commander card, but put on a legendary creature. It is, it is quite literally like staple card on a stick. And that is a-okay, but it's also just like way more uh, versatility and speed in the format than there has been up to this point and i have many thoughts on commander saturation but my thought is i like planeswalkers so much that they can't do any more damage so uh maybe you have to have a planeswalker with luxior alongside <laughs> of it and then and then luxior luxior is errata to just have can be your commander with any planeswalker exactly like at this point, I, I really do just hate having that fourth line of text on Planeswalker Commanders. Because <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, it's I want it to be irrelevant in the same way that many other Oracle texts have become irrelevant. So one day, one day we'll get there. Do you want us uh do you wanna sign us out, Brian? Oh, sure. Um do we do the Patreon pitch already? No, we didn't. Holy shoot. Um wait, um, so wait, 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 I'll do it. Um Okay, okay. So if you too would like to give me ideas about random theories about what will possibly happen in the future, like Merit Lage being the the goal of Tetheret's machinations here, you can join our Patreon and discuss uh, all your theories about magic, story, or video games, or TV shows, or myriad other topics. Or you can be a part of our live listen. Um... And listen to us every Thursday at around 7 p.m. Eastern, give or take some minutes, depending on circumstances of the week. But yeah, uh, thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast. <laughs>